Welcome to Connect This. We're back. We're unexpectedly back. We're excited to be back. Uh, I told everyone we probably weren't going to be back. And then about 24 hours ago, I was like, no, we can make it happen. The magic is still here. And so I emailed Doug, Kim and Travis and begged them to free up their schedules, uh, which they have done. And um, I might be paying a price in terms of them teasing me. We'll see. But uh, I'm Chris Mitchell from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. Excited to be back on our 51st show. And we've got Doug Dawson from CCG. Welcome. Thank you. I just want to know how much did he pay you two to get on this quickly? I, I'm not going to tell you what he sent to me. So. Yeah, no, it's um, we have NDAs with each of you separately. Ah, very good, very good. Oh crap! We get paid to be on this. <laughs> well, That's I'm why there's NDAs. I brought it up. <laughs> Doug just violated his. <laughs> Kim McKinley from Utopia Fiber, welcome. Thank you, thank you. Good to be here. Brought the red glasses for number fifty-one. We have to start off strong. I, I'm super thrilled, and especially doing two weeks in a row, you are a champion. And I'm in the office two weeks in a row. You are in the office. Look at that. Yep. Impressive. But I happen to I happen to know um, I have a I have a spy, um, which is you. You told us that you were not in the office all week. So thanks, thanks for telling me. <laughs> Travis, welcome back, sir. How are you today? I'm doing pretty good. How are things in Minneapolis, across the river? Well, we're, we're, we're well. The weather's good. Well, how are things over there? Uh, the weather's good, and uh, yeah, things are things are pretty nice. Right. Well, you've got yeah. blue sky coming your way in about 20 minutes, so. Yeah, I've, I've already got it, actually, so right. I'm pretty excited about it. I'm, I'm going to go out and do a bike ride later today. I still got to, I haven't come over, I have not seen Travis in person for like a month now, and I feel like I need to like prioritize this in my are life. Are you going to ride your bicycle over here or what? Not tonight, but I, I do. I'm, I'm thinking about it for the weekend. Maybe There's nothing we'll like a sweaty Chris Mitchell showing up your house. Really? Well, that's, that was the question I had. Would you yeah. rather have me jump in the lake or one of your showers? <laughs> you know, that that'll be uh, your choice, sir. Yeah. yeah. Actually, okay. the lake might even be funnier. Yeah. What? I, I do have a question before we start this. Did we ever find the person who was in Doug's basement from a couple episodes ago? <laughs> the bear. That was the bear. bear. Did you guys get the bear video of the of his pet bear outside his house? Yeah. Yep. That was awesome. Yeah. yeah. So we have an update on long-running discussion, Tirana. <laughs> um, and that update is uh, stay tuned for next week, maybe, or the week after. <laughs> Hoping next Thursday we'll have some information about Tarvana and their amazing, you know, Platform. You have you have two observations so far. Uh, one is that it's lighting your wallet, and the other, well, it's not an observation, but an update is that it's being mounted next week. Yes, it is. Uh, I, I learned something about uh, scaling multi-hundred feet towers. It's not as easy, and to find somebody that wants to do it took a little bit extra time. So now we have the person who's willing to do it and mount the radios, but everything is here ready to test. So... I should just note, I've gone through some basic tower climbing safety. I have years of experience as a rock climber. And so, you know, you just, just give me a call, man. That qualifies you to, yes, I'm with you. You know how to aim antennas and everything, so it'll be good. I, I practice it. We'll, we'll see. I mean, we're, we're hearing maybe two, three miles of range with some reasonable throughput. I will see. I'm, I'm open. Doug, you were going to say something? My first job in in the industry was climbing towers. This is why I work in my house now. I don't, I hate it. <laughs> don't climb towers anymore. Yeah. That was, that was, I really did not enjoy it. 
Like, I went through the, I, w- I mean, we had some people for a tribal broadband bootcamp. We've had two different tower climbing uh, people come in to describe it and go through tr- uh, safety training just to give people a sense of what's involved to make sure they know it's important not to cut corners. And the equipment now is, wow, it's really impressive. I feel like even over the last just 10 or 20 years, let alone 150 years, Doug, uh, since you were doing it, that uh, it's, it's yeah. very, it's progressed a lot. Well, the first towers I climbed were on a Navy ship, and that's even less fun because it's moving. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm hoping to have a telecom peekaboo picture for you maybe Tuesday or Wednesday, Chris. So we Excellent. Can, yeah, so we, so we can tell what it is. Well, speaking of telecom peekaboo, let's jump into that. We've got one handy. Uh, first, you have to identify which Division Three college um, uh, this came from. <laughs> Well, you gave it away with the Ericsson label on the outside. Oh, yeah? What's the Ericsson label tell you? Well, Doug, what do you think? It's a small sale. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Is there any doubt? I mean, I have when it comes to like the, uh, the, the cap at the top, the antenna, to me, I always assume small sale when I see that. Is it possible it could have been something else? Yeah, they could use that enclosure for something else. So they don't, they don't but they could. I mean, they could, put, they could put Wi-Fi in there if they wanted. So, yeah. How high off the ground was this? Uh, give Any me that idea? banner. I'm going to guess 20, 25 feet. Okay, was that high? Because I do like the fact that there is a Cat5 cable just plugged in that you could unplug yeah. fairly easily. So, And, th- and that's pretty low. Right, is low. the photographer. He's he says, 15 feet to the top. Yeah, that's very short. short. So yeah. maybe this is on campus? Yes. Yeah, it's ah. like a Davis. Yeah. So you can actually tell by that sign right there. The, so the crown. Several of these on campus, and the whole point of this is just to give better cell service to students. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and the and a bird looks like living in there. Yeah. I mean, I I do find it entertaining. Like, I assume that the students are the least likely to be using telephone, right? It's all just data. Oh no, this is all data, and that's what the small cells are for. They're for five G data. But like, why aren't they using Wi Fi when they're wandering across campus? Oh, I'll tell you this, the University of Oregon, we were out there for the Tribal Broadband Bootcamp and uh, wonderful people, very, very helpful. They run an incredible network. They had just hosted the World Track Championships. Uh, their guest Wi-Fi was among the worst I've ever experienced. And there was just constantly joking, including with a guy who had set it up 10 years ago, um, uh, Dale Smith. So um, uh, some of these schools have really great Wi-Fi for guests and, and students and whatnot, but others don't. Well, and just to answer your question, an awful lot of schools have it set up so every time you walk out of range one, you, your phone has to reboot to get to the second. It doesn't roam. So Wi-Fi can be a real mess. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Yes. Um, Chattanooga had a big announcement. Kim, uh, I feel like uh, you're part of that uh, American Association of Public Broadband. You probably checked me. You probably even had inside information, unlike me. Um, I just found out about it with the plebes. I, did, I found out about it with the plebs. I was with um, Katie Espeth at uh, the Fiber Broadband Association Regional Conference in Copper Mountain, and I didn't even like hear anything about it until I like read it online the next day. So, but uh, Chattanooga has just announced a everybody on their network can get 25 gig symmetrical. I don't. What is the price point on that? I didn't catch that when I saw that. What is I didn't say up one mentioned. Did you, Chris? No, I did not see it. Um, and and I think you know Travis can go ahead and and school us on why it's somewhat academic well there there's a statement i remembered i think it was a kim statement not so many episodes ago of fiber to the press mm-hmm. well, here is a, here is another episode of fiber to the press well i disagree uh but go ahead and explain what you mean 
You disagree? Oh, <laughs> right. Well, here we go, then, Mr. Mitchell. Um, <laughs> um, okay, so first off, there's no consumer-based routers that are going to support an up like this. So this, so this would be the equivalent of uh, you know bringing 25 megabit to your front door, or gigabit in this case. Um, sorry, it's not wireless. And you have no way to utilize it. Your, your computers have no Nobody has any util, way to utilize it. So, like, Kim and I could easily launch 100 gig fiber to the home of our active ethernet platforms and so, so you know what 25 is kind of slow actually and you know what i think right here on this show kim and i just announced 100 gig to the home is being offered on utopia and usi fiber Network. there you go what? Well, what is for any customer who wants it you would put it in yeah, yeah. i think yeah. the thing is though epb has always been the ones who are leading this conversation they were the first in the nation to announce gig they're the first in the, to announce 10 gig i believe and, and I think they're doing it for 25 gig. I, I agree with you, Travis, though. For history's sake, I think I would phrase it a little differently, Kim. I think yeah. Google did announce gigabit first, but Chattanooga delivered it first. Um, and and, and Rye just, just told us it's $300 a month. Which is their price for their that was the that was their price for gigabit back in 2009 or 2010. Um, and the the use case for this is not in the residential home, absolutely agree with you. But the place where they're putting it in, and 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 they talk a little bit in one of the release articles about what they're doing is they're putting in the Hamilton County Convention Center where they hope to host you know world championship of esports and things like that. Uh, they've already they've already had a number of the esporting leagues come through Chattanooga because of their renowned connectivity. Well, and I think that's what this is about. Now, if you have an esport event, that's not enough bandwidth. <laughs> but, but Chris, I mean, are you serious? I mean, I, I don't really have a sense. Well, of actually, it. I would say if you got a thousand gamers in there at the same time, yeah, that's not enough bandwidth. So. Yeah, it, it's that whole thing of saying, okay, so we put a hundred gig into the Minneapolis Convention Center, so now, you know, this is. I will say this: this is the benefit of fiber. This is right. just an infinite race to new numbers. That you can have this conversation. Right. I, have yeah. agree, also, I have to agree with Travis. This is like parking a Lamborghini in your driveway, but not giving you the keys. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like, okay. I mean, it's it's neat to talk about. It's really good that they've in, invested and installed a proper technology. Um but I don't know if it really moves the needle at all. I don't want to. I don't want to beat this dead horse too much more. Uh, but but I, yeah, I, I do think. Go ahead, Kim, and then I'll. Yeah, go. I was going to say this, Chris, and I think though I I agree that there's no use case for it. But here at Utopia Fiber, we're seeing a really big uptick of 10 gig service uh, to the home, and you you know the reason why is because businesses are paying for their internet connections, employees' internet. Right. Connections and they're just taking the fastest. Home. Well, yeah. So here's the thing, right? I have. Um, I've been we're we lost our video person and I lost our Henry who really made this show what it, what it has been. Um, uh, you know he moved on and um, I've been managing some of the video assets we have for the Tribal Broadband Bootcamp and videos we're trying to create and stuff like that. And I've always been lazy about setting up remote desktop, which is killing me right now because we have no bandwidth cap in the office. We have 100 megabit symmetrical from CenturyLink, and I've been back and forth 10 times now trying to manage data because I would kill my Comcast cap if I was doing it. And so. So like, it's not the, everyone's use case, but more and more businesses and, and entrepreneurs are running into things like this. And for me, and I think we can just go out on this because I think we would all agree. The thing to keep in mind is that if you're a person who like, if you're that edge case, that one in a million who right now needs that kind of service, you're not going to get it from AT&T. You're not going to get it from Comcast, but like you can get it from Travis. You can get it from Utopia. You could get it from the city of Chattanooga. That's pretty impressive. 
there's businesses who use it. And, and Rye just corrected me because the ten, the three hundred dollars was ten gig, uh, twenty five gigs, fifteen hundred residential, and twelve thousand five hundred for business. Because for business, they're assuming you're actually going to use it. So. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, so wanted to move on. Did we, did we agree to disagree? I don't want to finish that up. No, I mean, I think I'm just splitting hairs a little bit. Like, I just, it's no. one of those things. Like, I agree. You're absolutely right. Like, there's no, there's no, the only reason a person would have it in their home is just to like show off. And, and you, you can't, there's no person, like, resident who's going to know a difference between a 10 gig and a 25 gig. Oh, but, but it is, there, are, there are a few surgeons around who do 3D MRIs who really want the 10 gig. I don't know that they need to go to 25, but there are a few folks who actually could use that speed. So. But again, 25 is just the tip of the iceberg for these right. for these networks. Yeah, you I mean, know, I'll in five years we'll be talking about 100, and then five, 250. But like, I'll, so like, here's the thing, right? I'm not even sure. Like at this point, I feel like we're talking about like it has to be lots of different devices using it simultaneously, right? Because like, as I said, I've been dealing with a lot of video, and like the the network is slow, but hard drives are also slow. Mm -hmm. Like we're we're at the point now where it's not like I'm like if I have a faster than a than a gigabit connection to Dropbox, I don't know that my hard drive, a single device, would be able to max that out much more than what it's at, right? Well, you, well, you're spot you'd on. You'd have to have whole racks of servers. Yeah. So. Yeah. This is not a one to one conversation. Over one gigabit, it's not a one to one conversation anymore. It's a mm -hmm. many to many kind of conversation. Right. right. Starlink. Starlink's in the news again. Um, we talked a little bit last week. Uh, Doug, you weren't here, but we talked about how um, I'm just super impressed with the FCC. I was even impressed with Commissioner Carr uh, because uh, I thought he didn't make a fool of himself in talking about how we should be giving money to LTD and, and Starlink. But then he did say we should be giving money to Starlink. So he just, he um, just waited. He waited a day and then he said, I, I, I just I'll say again, I'm still super enthusiastic that the FCC took action and and did something rather than just letting it wither. Uh, but uh, Commissioner Commissioner Carr has come out and said it's ridiculous that we're not giving billion a billion dollars to Starlink, which uh, I'm not impressed with. Well, I mean, it's. You know, one thing, UCLA showed that their speeds dropped 25% mm -hmm. over the last year as they actually started adding people. And when they really start adding people, it's going to drop some more. So it's, it doesn't meet the criteria that they said it should. I mean, it's a pretty straightforward thing. On top of that, they weren't even going to pay for your receiver. They were going to spend no money for customers out of that money. They were just going to pocket it. That's what I don't get. That's how I. That's the, it, it, well, I've at least said, that money. If that money paid for the receivers, you could point to it. If Starlink, it, yeah. if the FCC said to Starlink, you know what? We think this is really important, and we're going to give you a billion dollars so you can do more launches and things like that. That's one thing. If they said we we're going to actually have these homes and we're going to subsidize their usage and you're going to give them a better rate. That's defensible. But the idea of just giving them money for that nothing. is supposed to help these specific households. And then those households don't actually get anything. And in fact, in many cases, those households may actually have too many people that they would not all even be able to use the service at the same time. It's atrocious. It's terrible well, policy. And it's worse than that, because at that point, no one else can get a grant for those places. Exactly. It's the worst of all worlds. It's the worst of all worlds. Yes. So the FCC made the right decision. So the federal government made a good decision. So how are do you? Well, this? they made a terrible decision to put Starlink in them. If you don't recall, they put them in at the very last minute. They they were not originally allowed in them. And, and I assume it was Chairman Pi, right? Pi, well, and and Carr pushed them in, and 
so they they wanted them in and who knows what was behind the scenes but, there. but at that yeah. time there was huge hype about starlink and there was huge kudos for the speeds they were getting at that time so well, and, and he was talking about 250 to 350 mm -hmm. megabit down and because there wasn't any of them up and running so mm -hmm. it was easy to talk right by the way <laughs> speaking of that fcc that made those decisions. I just, I, I, the other day I was sort of laughing because I feel like, you know, you could go back and read the reports um, in 2019 and 2020 from um, Ajit Pai's FCC and what she's saying, you know what? We're killing it on broadband. We're doing so right. great. Oh, just got to pat on the back. We're, we're doing so good. And we've been doing so good on it. We're now spending $60 billion to try to improve it. <laughs> like <laughs> just how embarrassing is, is the FCC under Republican administrations? Like, I mean, I, he put out the 2019 and the 2020 reports in the same week, the week before he left office. <laughs> but, but, but again, like, I just feel like there's, these, I think it's remarkable to have your expert agency saying how great you're doing. And then Congress turns around and says, we have to spend yes. an unimaginable amount of money to try to solve this problem that the FCC doesn't even, did not even admit existed under right. Republican administrations. And not only that, the thing that kills me that I still, I feel like a lot of people don't get. Democrats are pushing to connect rural areas. When Republicans are in charge, they'll 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 give ten cents to try and connect a rural area, but they don't really do anything on it. And and I just I find it amazing that Democrats um, do this. They don't get any credit for it, and probably because they do so many other things that piss us off. But like, <laughs> but nonetheless, like it is the Democrats who are connecting rural America after Republicans basically turned their back on it. And the rural areas are largely red, but they're doing it. Well, that's the point. Yeah, the, the, the rural right areas hate the Democrats. It's the right thing to do. But I, I do have a, a comment about Ajit Pai's uh, FCC. Are we sure we knew what was in the Reese's cup? What he was drinking out of the Reese's cup. <laughs> okay. I'm just surprised he hasn't turned up in a more high-profile job yet. So um, I guess we'll see in time. Um, so the other the other piece of this is SpaceX has a big announcement with T-Mobile coming up later today. Um, do we have any kind of speculation of what SpaceX and T-Mobile could be doing together? I'm going to guess it's it's remote it's probably rural wireless backhaul to towers but i don't know that's that'd be my guess and and of course that's terrible because if they do that then the people in that neighborhood will get really bad you know residential broadband <laughs> that that's my guess remember that originally one web was going to do residential broadband and they decided only to do that backhaul and so so but i think the money on backhaul is so much better than mm -hmm. people at a hundred dollars i think that I, the only other thing he could be doing would be, I don't know what else he could do. I mean, I mean, maybe they could use Starlink to do mini cell sites, which isn't really backhaul, but more like, you know, strong repeaters on farms. That doesn't make any sense. What do you think, Charlie? <clears throat> so here's, here's my theory. I think they're going to merge Starlink and LTG. I think, Doug, you already, you already touched on it. The more people you add to, to native Starlink, the more saturation you're going to have on that particular satellite at that moment. So if you could do offload, especially in rural areas to T-Mobile, you know, if you've ever used like a product like PepWave, where it actually uses multiple types of internet connections simultaneously, I think what it's going to end up being is for congested areas, it'll do LTE offload onto the T-Mobile network. LTE, I think you mean. You got network. LTD on the brain. LTE, yeah. I think it'll, I think it'll be LTE offload. Of Starlink. So that's the thing. That's so, Doug. That's what I thought first too. Was that probably SpaceX would be providing services to T-Mobile? But I it could um, be the other way around. I think it's the other way around because what 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 they realized through this is 
and you can see it on their map that they get very saturated areas wouldn't you know with high density I, I think it'd be a good move and actually I'm more pro Starlink than probably the rest of you are is just it, it is oh, no, I disagree I'm, again. I'm, I'm not anti-Starlink one bit. Yeah. So I, yeah. I just don't think, I don't think they should get a big grant, but I, I love the company. I love Yeah, and I think it's it's one of the few technologies out there that's really good when you're out in rural areas right now because I don't know it's going to be interesting to see who actually builds with our is this our th second or third or fifth once in a lifetime opportunity to build rural area I forget. Well, Kim, I just want to know, Kim hates satellite because when she goes outside, she likes to stare up at the sky and those glasses collect so much light <laughs> that she's able to see the stars better. And that view is obstructed by all of the little birds. It's, it's true. I mean, I, I don't even know like what we're talking about. What? I can't see anything <laughs> when I go outside. <laughs> mm -hmm. But no, I, I think Starlink is a good technology, guys. I don't think anybody's denying that. I think it's mm -hmm. what use case do you use Starlink is always up for the debate of what it is. And it's not going to be a solution for every American in this country. It's never going to be that. Yeah, this is where, again, like I just, I guess it's okay because in Minnesota, and I, I don't, I'm, I guess I'm in a partisan mood today, but like, you know, the Republicans, when they were in charge, um, the guy who ran the committee that had to deal with broadband, his answer was always like, oh, satellite's going to solve this whole problem. We don't have to do any investment in Minnesota right. for rural areas. And, um, and so it's always been Democrats in Minnesota that were pushing more, although not, I mean, um, in the past five years, not, not nearly as much as they had been before. Um, and I find it hilarious when we find uh, often conservative folks, more often anti-government folks, there's overlap there, who are like, oh, no, the satellite companies are going to solve this whole problem. And then you look at Elon Musk and he's like, no, no, we're not solving the whole problem. We might well, solve three or five percent of the problem, but like we're not solving the whole problem. And all these people who are anti-government are like, no, 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 he's going to solve it all. He just doesn't know that he's going to solve it all, but he will. <laughs> Elon well, Musk but, but hold on now with this T-Mobile component attached to it. It's pretty compelling for some of these rural areas. Oh, I, I, it's better than nothing, Travis. But like, if you have a choice between living in an area that has fiber to the home or an area that has some sort of mashup of Starlink and and LTE, Mister Mister LTE here, um, you telling me that there's not going to be a huge difference in your consideration? Well, when yeah. do I get when do I get the fiber? Well, you got to remember now if, if he does what Travis suspects, which makes a lot of sense for the next three to four or five years, to some of these networks actually get built, it's very important. And he's really trying it out for the rest of the world. I mean, the rest of the world right. is almost entirely cellular. This is a big deal in the rest of the world. So. Oh, this is, and, it, and it, it'll be relatively easy to deploy. You just replace right. the router with an LTE modem with Dishy. I mean, it's a great deal. I, my big thing on this whole fiber thing is, when is this actually going to start? I mean, we're talking like a few years. Oh, it started. Well, no, in a few years. I mean, like there's actually like <laughs> literally we're talking today. And I think there was supposed to be a groundbreaking in Northeast Louisiana today to build fiber with some of this money. And we're going to talk in five minutes with guests uh, about why that's not happening. So um, some of this is being deployed already. 40, there's 30 or 40 projects going in Minnesota from state grant money. That came okay. out of, that Which came was. Out of yeah, it came from the feds. I guess I'm just saying no. the Starlink thing, here's what's going to happen. They're going to announce this in a partnership today. You'll probably be able to onboard the hardware in, oh, I don't know, 30 days and be up and running. I think 30 yeah. days might be aggressive, but um, it's not going to be years like some of this. Right. Cover no, I think your, your point be. is sound, um, yeah. but I would if guess if they're going to involved in the hardware. They will be way more efficient at it than Elon Musk. Yeah, and they'll, and, the, and they'll use the T-Mobile stores probably right. to sell them and distribute them. And probably even T-Mobile Mobile Techs to help with it on because that's one of the knocks Starlink has had is their support. Mm -hmm. 
I want to just, I want to put out there, go ahead, Kim. Yeah, I was just going to say this. and We haven't talked about this, but I have to give kudos to T-Mobile, who's being very agile and creative in this space right now. Um, yeah. I think they're one of the bigger companies that is maneuvering around to, to meet needs and to try to find innovative solutions to bring broadband to people. So I have to give it kudos to T-Mobile. But I think this is where this technology, if you are correct, Travis, is where it's the interim to fiber. Um, it is a short-term solution to... Um, and a good one. Activity. Well, I, I think... I think it'll satisfy the immediate need for sure. Especially and, and for people and who are the folks the at the ends of the earth, even in any, even the counties who do all these big grants are going to have folks on hills and valleys that yeah. just don't mm -hmm. ever get it. And this so, do these folks. Yeah. T-Mobile, the uncarrier, it's pink, right? That's like their big thing is pink. I, I, get, I have trouble with pink and purple sometimes, but um, I just want to put out there that my alternative explanation, which I will put, um, I would like put my 10% of my nest egg into this, is that the announcement is that uh, they're simply going to have a pink branded uh, Dishy McDish face and, um, and release that out as a special edition um, uh, hardware. So it's those marketing people again. It's the doggone marketing. Well, there is a chance it's just a marketing announcement. That's always a possibility. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. possibility. Both of those companies love announcements. So, yeah. Um, so uh, we've got just a couple minutes, but I want to jump into a major topic before our, our guests arrive. But um, I, I want to ask Travis, do you want to put forward your question about the FCC uh, broadband data collection? Ah, yes. So we, we have a corner case that I wanted to, I didn't know how to answer. So when you do the little pull down menu for your, what is it, 477? I don't remember what number no, it is. No, it's the BDC, the Broadband Data Collection. Yeah. Whatever you have to, you're off to have to report in, you have cable, DSL, fiber to the home, and wireless. Fixed wireless. Fixed, fixed wireless are your four choices. So if we take an apartment building of, let's just say, four units, you run gigabit Ethernet to all four. And that's what the customer plugs into. And then you, on the roof, you have a millimeter wave, 10 gig full duplex radio back to your egress point. Is that building considered fixed wireless or is that building considered fiber to the home? That's fixed wireless, my definition. Okay. Because it's that's how the broadband got to the building. So the technology to the it building so this is you did. the inside wiring doesn't have any impact yeah. on how it hit the building. okay but so this then, is then where the Travis and i were talking because the broadband data collection <laughs> is about to a, an addressable location in the fabric and then addressable location might be one building that has 10,000 units but it is that is considered one building from the perspective of the fcc in this data collection see which i find really interesting so the fcc is not going in and saying that that apartment unit or that condo unit can get gigabit service. They're just saying gigabits at the front door on fiber. That's my understanding. Oh, well, this totally validates 25 gig in Chattanooga then. Yeah. Because that's the same thing. Okay, as long as you get it to the front door, even though nobody inside the door can use it, it's, it's a legitimate technology. Okay, all right. I just, I don't make the rules. I just try to understand the mm -hmm. process, so. No, just a little aside, since you brought up the data collection, I've talked to three different engineering companies in the last two days who have been doing a lot of work inside the, the new reporting fabric, and they say that the underlying fabric is so terrible that the maps have to be a disaster because the actual locations in the maps are not what real life is. They either have too many buildings or not enough buildings, and with that, you can't map it properly. The whole point is this is detailed mapping, 
and the buildings are wrong, the maps are wrong, and they think it's going to be an utter disaster because of that. And what's the, the penalty? People, people, are, people are loading in addresses, and the addresses don't exist in the database. <laughs> from an open access perspective, because we had to clarify this, because we have all these providers, and we've who reports on them? Does Utopia report on them, or does every one of the provider say that they can hit these 150,000 locations, which skews the data too. Yeah. Well, the answer in your case is that your ISPs should be reporting because they do the ISP function. They are, but they're all right. reporting all of the addresses. So it includes ah. data. Because oh, that, oh, that's going to be interesting. So there's seven. Oh my God. Yeah, so I mean, I, I do. Thousand or whatnot address, addresses passed. Last week, uh, John Chambers was the podcast, I think, or was the week before uh, on the Community Broadband Bits feed. And we talked about some of this. And I felt like John had um, a, a note where I detected in his voice a bit of frustration, I think, in the people that are running down the fabric because it is a ridiculous task to take what might be, you know, in the tens or hundreds of millions of structures and figure out which ones of them across the United States are broadband addressable locations. And, um, and the, what they're doing is, is quite remarkable and impressive. Uh, however, the timeline in which we've given them to do it is not awesome. appropriate. And so like, I mean, I, I do want to say that none of us, I think, have, uh, we're not like, oh, those lazy contractors. Like, it's like, the problem is that the FCC ignored 15 years of public interest groups telling them we need better maps. And the FCC was like, no, we don't. AT&T says our maps are awesome. Shut up, Chris. Shut up, free press. <laughs> so like, we got into this hole because the FCC refused to do anything about it for all this time. And, um, and, now, and now they're and now it's right. the NPIA is going to take all the blame. <laughs> right. Well, no, the thing is, is that NPIA and FCC. They're going to try to distribute this money on bad. But that's the thing is that like they don't actually need all of the fabric locations to, to, to distribute the money. They need to start getting the money out, and then it take a year or two to get the dang maps right. And that's that's what I feel like. John Chambers keeps harping on. I've been saying this for a year. I feel like would, you know it's one of those things actually got right. I don't owe anyone chicken change, wings for it. Take a change of law. Though. That's not what the law says. No, no, no. The law, the law is not clear on it. The law says that they have to use some information. It doesn't say that they know where every addressable location in the entire country oh, wow. is. So, Travis, what's, what's going on yeah, there? You gotta, yeah. So, it, is the money evenly distributed by the states? No. Or no, that's the each, thing. Does each state have to like volley with their data to determine who gets? No, 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 no. This the FCC is supposed to determine the relative breakdown between the states based on um, relative numbers of unserved and other characteristics. But uh, long we we have I, I've argued um, you know with all of my lack of law degree that <laughs> that the law has ample room for the FCC to say these are the relative proportions between the states regarding unserved and we know enough just to, to distribute the money this way or to at least start distributing the money and the FCC NTIA could say you know what we know that the FCC is going to take a long time until you are uh, able to tell us the exact amount between the states. But we know that every state's getting $100 million. We know Texas is getting like 3 or $4 billion. Like we can start distributing the money without knowing the total amount in the end of, at the end of the day. Like they so could be doing that. Some portion of it. Yeah, yeah I yeah. have two, Travis. Don't beat me. <laughs> All right. We're going to have to speed this up, though. This is supposed to be the short round. Go ahead, oh, Travis. No, I, didn't, I didn't know we're doing it. Oh, no, no, no. I, 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 I give my time to my colleague from Utah, Kim McKinley. I just want to know, is it the bet of when these maps coming out? I forgot where everybody stood, but I think Travis might be winning at, like, whatever his was. I think he said, like, 2029. <laughs> <laughs> you could be right. 
Don't the states already know? Haven't they already been doing this the whole time? No. Don't the states know their need? Uh, Lots of the mapping fabric detail. None of them. No, some okay. states have decent maps, very few, and if in many states have practically nothing. Is everybody getting a hundred million? Is the minimum they're getting? Correct. Mm-hmm. So why don't they distribute a hundred million to all fifty states, and well, then might. that's and then what I said. Stop, I've been saying that for and, and see how each state does with it before I've they been give saying them that more. for for a year now. Uh, Ooh, I mean, yeah, you got to remember. They I said it on the show. You have to approve all the state plans, which is going to take forever. Anyway. Travis, it's raining money. We don't want to hold back. Yeah, Kim, we don't get any of it. So, you know, it's all these rich farmers that are going to get internet. And us, us poor city mice are going to get nothing. Well, I so. think I think that you could put in a grant to recover your your uh, new wireless trial expenditure. Every time, every, time oh. every time I talk to Travis, I feel like uh, he has another line of business that I'm interested in, that he's doing something interesting in. So if he doesn't have a farm in a few weeks, I'll be surprised. <laughs> All right, let's move, <laughs> let's move on. Maybe speaking, I do. <laughs> speaking of, of rural areas, we have, uh, we have two guests that I'm excited to, to bring on. Uh, very happy that you could join us. Um, we have uh, Laura and Nathaniel, uh, who are both from Northeast Louisiana, have been doing remarkable work for a long time to figure out how to connect uh, your community, which is uh, an East Carroll Parish. Um, you are an area that is kind of a, uh, if I understand it, you're the high density area, comparatively high density area in a very low density area. And all of you are very poorly connected. So uh, is that more or less correct? Yes. Um, hi. Uh, well, thank you for having us on. Yeah, Lake Providence is a t- is a small little community that is wrapped around a lake, Lake Providence. Um, and I don't know the exact numbers, but roughly uh, two thirds of the people live in town. And then the rest of them live out in, in the parish, uh, very far apart. So yeah, it's, it's, that's, that's a good way to describe it. Yeah. And, and some people have, are able to pay for a somewhat decent uh, connection, but it's really expensive. And then there are the people who, who pay uh, for a access, AT&T access for $10, but get what you pay for, which is basically, yeah, AT&T is not serving anything above 18 three or something or 18 two, something like that. So now you have a cable provider in the area, in parts of this area. And that cable provider is now called Sparklight. It's a company that used to be called Cable One, which um, whenever I've run across it, I was surprised to find that there were companies that were less capable than Mediacom. Uh, it is a <laughs> company that is extremely hated by its customers, from what I I can tell. Uh, in fact, Kim, do you deal with them up in the in the? No, okay, I thought they were up in the oh. Idaho Falls. Mm, they might be, but I so. I, yeah. One of the more memorable interviews that I had done was with a couple, um, a family in Idaho Falls, and they were talking about how when they got fiber from the city um, and in Ammon, the neighbor to Idaho Falls, they were they were so excited because they said the the cable one network like basically broke every night, and that every Saturday morning their kids woke them up to tell them they had to reboot the cable modem and they just <laughs> never got to sleep in on Saturday or Sunday because their kids were, and they got the fiber and they slept in and they said it was just magnificent. <laughs> so that, go ahead, Kim. They're incumbent up there because we don't deal with them. That's why I didn't know. But yes, that's why we have such high take rates in Idaho Falls. I would believe yeah. them as becoming the incumbents. But so cable one is, 
Cable One is terrible. You all have been organizing to try and get a real good solution in both the rural areas where there's some RDOF money that had been distributed and then to expand that and make sure that your, your that, that Lake Providence was connected as well. And and I'm just trying to speed through this because I want to get to the, the important part that you can speak to. Um, you get the, the state awards you the uh, the money to uh, to the Connexon working with the electric cable, the electric uh, um cool electric company and um they're cooperative and um and, and you're about to break ground <laughs> you've actually i think did you actually get past the seven days for the challenge to be assessed it's uh, we haven't seen anything publicly released yet we've got a public records request in um we haven't actually seen the protests ourselves mm -hmm. so we're waiting on that process but that's what we've heard sort of through these uh we've heard them referred to as lawyers <laughs> who have seen it and and yes they were like the 11th hour and that's what we've been going on is the like the 11th hour of these protests were received after the grant had been awarded we we hadn't broken ground connexon has broken ground in other on other projects but in east carroll parish there was no we yeah we were, we were actually supposed to do a launch event tonight with jonathan chambers here in town and begin signups of what 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 we were calling the largest rollout of broadband in a rural area in a year's time to move the parish we live in um, from last place in terms of connectivity in Louisiana into the top 10. And so that would that would require us assigning up about a thousand homes because we only have about 2,500 homes in our parish. That has all been halted and delayed by Sparklight um, doing this 11th hour Hail Mary to to, to keep out competition. Um, they had several times to apply for the money themselves. They had a three month protest period earlier on, they could have protested, um, but it's their playbook. And you already know this story. <laughs> it's just some real people telling it again and it affects real people. Now, in particular, I wanted to, because we have Doug and Travis, although I think Doug is much more familiar with Doxis um, uh, from a technical point of view. Um, it's interesting that they are making a specific claim, Sparklight is that they already serve um, you know, 2,800 locations, I think it was, with uh, a speed that is basically saying DOCSIS 3, which is, um, you know, nearly a gigabit down and 50 megabits up. And my assumption has been that they just rushed through something because there's no evidence that anyone in town can actually get those speeds. My guess is that they have just rushed in some kind of technical thing that they would be able to then justify. Either that or they're just straight up lying entirely. Well, um, first, that's our, first that's our take as well. They're yeah, there are not, not 2,800 locations in this parish. And they're not connected to any of the rural folks. Right? Yeah, so, and we've never seen a speed test um, with a download higher than 200 on a small piece of data that we have from our own broadband office. And that means but, they're, they're still DOCSIS 3.0, so they've not even upgraded to DOCSIS 3.1. So that's older technology. Now, they what they could have claimed is they... And last night they rushed in and upgraded the entire thing, but you can't just do that because you have to change everybody's modems, their house. So hmm. well, amplifiers and there could be a variety of things. Amplifiers, the, the power taps, the whole network has to be upgraded to do that. Mm -hmm. so, so that was that was one claim in the protest. Another claim was that they were servicing 600 of the units out of the 810 or 50. something, 850 that we were that we were supporting in this grant process. And if that were to go you know, if they were where to go house to house and all they have to do is prove 25-3, we could end up in real trouble um, with our grant funding. Um, so 
we really are trying to shine light that this is just a last minute attempt to keep out competition that's happening all over the country. And it, but it really, I mean, this well, is the big, school children. Big companies, goes, you know. the, Sorry, hold on a second. Let, let, so Doug, hold on. I just want to like, we have uh, Nathaniel and then Kim and then Doug. Okay. Oh, no, y'all already, I mean, just, this is just one more example of like, you know, a giant corporation stomping on, <laughs> you know, through a scatter shot of, of, of lawyers' attempts to do this kind of thing. It's just part of their business plan. And, but it, but again, it just affects the children of this place. You know, it's just ridiculous. Were you guys anticipating this? I mean, was this a shock to see this, um, like, come through uh, last minute? Or were you kind of just preparing for this challenge to come across? No, see, they had a 60-day period of challenge process at the beginning after, but you know, after the that whole thing where the they make sure that the the applications have all the the I's and T's and blah blah blah. And then there's a challenge period, and they were supposed to announce the grants in April, but there were so many challenges all over the state that it took them till July, end of July, to announce the grant awards. Well, apparently in in the legislative session. Um, there were two bills passed and one of those allowed the rules to say that you, they could protest the awards. Mm -hmm. So there was a seven day period after July 25th that they could, again, we didn't get, East Carroll Parish was the only parish that did not receive any uh, protests in those, that first period. They fell but, asleep. And they missed their opportunity. So if I could just, if I if I could clarify my understanding, just to make sure, basically, in the beginning, there's sort of this idea of like, all right, these are eligible areas, and you could protest if you think that those areas are not eligible. And then there's, and then the people do their um, their applications, and the state basically says, all right, we're going to award money in these areas. And at that point, you should have already exhausted whether or not you could challenge an area as being eligible. But the state basically said, all right, we're going to give you a second chance to disrupt this. And, and, and even then, it sounds to me like maybe they didn't even necessarily hit those seven days. But then they came in at some point afterwards and just said, yeah, we still want to stop this. And they have actually stopped it. You were supposed to be launching the network today. That's right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So we're going to do a press conference in front of um, the division of administration who could end up being the ultimate arbitrator on this um, next Wednesday. Um, we're doing a statewide petition right now or national. Um, we are pursuing pitches to national media. Um, we're talking to y'all. I mean, we are, you know, we're about to do a meeting in about 20 minutes with, with all of our leaders here in Lake Providence and just throw everything at this. Um, in every which way we can. Um, you know, we heard about a call in to the governor. Um, you know, so the pressure's on there, um, but it's gonna take everything. I mean, we can't leave this to chance because y'all heard the other story as well when this when this does fall apart. Well, and that's one of the things I wanted to note, and I haven't <coughs> dug into this, but now I'm I'm really we know that many of these challenges are spurious. We've seen this in Maine. We've seen it in New Hampshire. We saw it um, in the area around Lafayette, whereas I understand it more than 99% of the challenges to the Lafayette expansion were, were thrown out after examination. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I feel like it is deeply concerning when a government has a process and then ignores that process and, um, and then ignores how companies abuse 
the processes. There should be a penalty. And so in Minnesota, for instance, if you file an, if you file a challenge and that challenge is found to be inaccurate, you lose the ability to challenge anything for two years, right? There has to be some kind of penalty for these yeah. companies that are lying. In, um, in in one of the the in Colorado, their challenge process is pretty smart, in um, in part because CenturyLink had gamed it um, in multiple places. And um, what Colorado says is, if you want to challenge something, you have to deliver the same technology and the same price and the same speed as the applicant was going to. If you're going to try to stop an award, so you can't just basically you know do like a bare minimum of, of cable upgrade. You actually have to provide a high quality technology. So states have solutions to this and it'd be really great if louisiana you know um uh, make sure that none of your other communities have to go through this what you're going through yeah that's right um where we i mean the hard part is they they wrote part of this process but i really like what you're adding in there which is some consequence mm -hmm. um so I, I mean that may be where we have to go next legislative session with all the rest of this money coming in um that could yeah. be that could be our longer game yeah, the, 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 they are all holding up Louisiana as like a model of way to do. Th I mean, that three or four times during the press conference to announce the the governor flew into Lake Providence on a helicopter to Lake Providence to give the grant. And now this is happening. Um, whoop, not a, not not good. But so it's it's like how we looked at some Pew Trust's research. And it's like Virginia and Alabama have this ability, according to the Pew research, have this ability to protest after a grant award. Have you? Are you familiar with that, Chris? No, I'm not. Okay. Yeah. So. Well, it's it's a fairly standard process in procurement processes where all the applicants aren't public, but this whole thing was public all along. So why would you allow the company this extra push and say? after it's awarded i mean we don't think we don't think they fell asleep like you said chris we think that this was their intention all along because it sounds delay, like they've talked the legislature and they're doing that extra set that's that's exactly right and we right. think they wrote this so we have records requests in to get all anything we could to help us help us figure that out and then i think that could then lead into an argument um for for passing a consequence clause on this like you said chris mm -hmm. or statute i don't know what it'd be called but, but that's the, that is the best answer because there are states that have true i mean minnesota's is the best you know really make a, make a false protest and you can't protest for two more years so um yeah and that's how i remember it working because i believe I frontier got hit by that um yeah. the thing that drives me nuts i mean we see the same like um sparklight has this control over the idaho legislature too like um not perfect but like it's very powerful this is a company that is based out of phoenix arizona it provides service in 19 states and it's terrible right like it is literally just sucking resources out of states that often are not very resource rich relative to others right i mean like idaho louisiana y'all have like you know, like a long way to go to improve internet access. And every month you're sending money to Arizona to be distributed to like wealthy people on the coast, more or less. Yeah. And, and like, it doesn't <laughs> even compare. Like you said, I mean, we're going to build a $10 million all underground fiber network that will never compare to what Sparklight's offering right now mm -hmm. or what they ever care to offer. In our first meeting with them, the regional manager over three states said, yeah, I have Sparklight. It's not very good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what they said to us. Yeah. Yeah. But this is what we're going to see across the country. These incumbents are, are not going to play like 
the, we're not going head to head. They're going behind the scenes to get these things taken um, and, and taken away. And this is just the beginning. And I mean, kudos to you guys who are fighting the good fight um, here at Utopia Viber. We've fought, we fought a lot of battles back in our day and uh, you guys are, you're, you're really doing some amazing things. So I really um, commend everything you guys are doing down there. Well, here's another, so, hold on a second, hold on a second. another error to put into your quiver. You know, the fact that they only have the 200 megabit speeds, 95% of all the cable company customers in the country can get gigabit speeds. So they have been, they've, they're way behind everybody else there. So they, they haven't even kept you up where everybody else is. Mm. So. Right. Well, the, we'll just specify, like, they claim to offer much faster speeds, but there is no evidence of well, that among speed tests. Speed tests. If the speed tests are really 200, then they do not do it. Right. Travis, you unmuted yourself. Did you were going to say something? No, I was... Uh... I, so, so a company's prior action does not weigh into the factor of their ability to question, you know, what these good folks are trying to do. I mean, if they've been a bad actor for years and years and years, they can come in in the 11th hour, drop in some new tech and now all of a sudden disqualify them from getting access to this. Hey, Travis, have you lost your mind? Have we talked about Comcast or Charter before? I just think it's, it's, it's fascinating. And, and how many people around the country are going to be willing to put up this fight? You know, well, I mean, and I, I think this yeah. is, I mean, it's worth noting. I mean, like the, the two of you were with Delta Faith, um, uh, Delta Interfaith, right? Yep. Um, which has uh, done a wonderful job of, of organizing a cross section of the community um, along faith grounds. Um, you know, faith leaders have been, I think, more of a leader there than we've seen in other places. I've always thought we wanted to get more um, faith communities involved in this because um, they, they care about the, the, the well being of people. Um, and so, like, I, I do feel like I'm glad that um, you're not just going to fold here. Uh, I think we want to try to attract more attention to it. But I do want to say, like, in response to to both what Kim and Travis said, like, I've I've said this before, and I feel like people on the left don't appreciate it from me. But like, I don't expect companies to behave morally. I expect companies, particularly these large, you know, and publicly owned or, or even privately owned, but these massive companies that are so out of scale to human institutions, they are going to do anything they can get away with. And at that point, oh, yeah. I always come back to the zookeeper. If if a hyena gets out and starts mauling guests at the zoo, we don't say it's a bad hyena. It's a hyena, <laughs> right? And like, you got to blame the zookeepers who aren't running a proper zoo. And that's what our legislatures are supposed to be doing is running a proper zoo, but they're that's not. Right. Yeah. And, and, and they, I've heard, I can't tell you how many people have said, well, you know, don't worry about it. If it doesn't work, work, there's a whole much of money coming through. And I'm yeah. like, we don't want to get this to come in with this bad policy in place and have the rest of the money because it's going to the states, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we cannot have this stay in place. I mean, we have an immediate problem. We have to get through this problem right now, but we are, we are on the war path on that policy. I'm telling you it's so. Has yeah. there been any talk of putting that policy in on the federal level? Like the States that take this federal money are going to have to put a bad protest clause in on when they distribute the money. There, there's nothing like that now. Big money coming down. is going to have these same kind of protest, just so you know. So, wow. Yeah, I, mean, I think the bigger issue is that if you let it stand, uh, if there is time for them to actually start delivering a higher quality service, then you will be ruled ineligible and the money will go to other parts of the state. And so that right. is the real danger is that they had their chance, they blew it, 
Now they have to deal with the consequence. And it's not like they're getting kicked out of town. They have every opportunity to compete. And that's what the American right. system that's is right. supposed to be about. Yep. That's what we're saying. Yep. And we're trying to say it as loud as we can. <laughs> yeah. Well, I appreciate you both uh, coming on. I know you got a meeting coming up. So um, thank you. Um, thank you. you know, definitely. Please keep me posted. And I'll be happy to keep doing updates. And, and we're going to try and spread the word as well. Thank Wonderful. you. Uh, Doug, yeah. Doug, would you mind sharing that language from Minnesota? Yeah, we'll pull can, that out for you. You bet. That'd yeah, be awesome. Well, Thank you so much. Right. Yeah, we'll do. Thank you for having us. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming Chris has your email addresses, right? Yes. Okay, we'll get that to you. Yep. yep. Right. Thank, right, you. thank you. Thanks. Take care. Chris, I need to bring something up. As uh -oh. a Southerner at heart, even though I live in Utah, you use the word y'all. It made me happy. Oh yeah, no, I I think y'all is great. Y'all is a <laughs> y'all is a brilliant word. It can mean anything. I mean, All right, that was that was super serious that conversation, but you know. I finally, after 52 years, know where Transylvania is at. It's down in their parish. <laughs> we have a town called Transylvania, Louisiana. How cool is that? And I bet it's not the only one. And there's, there's an RV park few. there. I am so going there. Awesome. <laughs> the RV is coming back out soon. You got it. Yep. Going right. to but that was, that was super serious policy stuff, so I didn't want to bring my Transylvania conversation into it. I do want to say that um, – So. Net inclusion is coming up in February and we're not this show. We have another couple of topics, but since Travis brought that up, net inclusion is going to be in San Antonio in February. Um, we may be doing a, uh, some kind of, uh, of urban broadband bootcamp event, either it might be a month before it at some point. Uh, anytime I'm doing anything in the South over the winter months, I'm planning to try to get Travis there. <laughs> so, and especially at net inclusion, we want to set up a booth and do some audio visual stuff. And okay, you all well heard it here. Now, you know what you're getting into if you drag me along, right? So remember, yeah, I only was wings. invited, to, I was invited to that Minnesota broadband council meeting, whatever at the state one time. <laughs> Travis, we got to hang out with Amy Klobuchar and uh, what's his name? Yeah. Um, um, Whoever that the, senator was. Yeah, he didn't like me either. So, yeah, he didn't. No, he didn't they, actually, they actually passed a law that he can't come back is what I heard. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I wanted to, I want to ask, um, and this is a perfect uh, time to say way into it. Did we screw up? And when I say we, I think people like me, people like me who my, our job is to try to figure out how to take ideas, turn it into policy to, to turn on government taps of money. And, and I know that other people, um, people like Kim, um, and others, uh, believe that we should have fought harder to have open access requirements with the bead dollars. And, and right now I sure have this negative feeling in my stomach. When I look at like frontier talking about getting billions of dollars to build in their networks, when I see AT&T charter getting billions upon billions of dollars likely to build networks, boy, do I feel like we rushed this and we should have been more careful, even at the risk of having some of the money be harder to spend. Um, I just, I, you know, I'm, I'm deeply disappointed and um, and I feel like there's a couple of causes. Um, one of them is frankly, I'll say, I, the reason that these big companies are getting the money is because communities aren't stepping up. The, too many communities are saying, well, if Charter's gonna solve this problem, we don't have to do anything. My frontier says they are going to ask for grant funding for all rural properties they have, every one of them. So they're going after 100% grant. It's, I mean, this goes back to the conversation. Is this money gonna be wasted? Are we just giving it back to the incumbents and we're just going to continue propagating mo monopolies and duopolies throughout this country? Are and we then in 10 years, they're going to come back and go, we're losing money here. We need a subsidy mm -hmm. to keep this running or else we'll turn it off. Absolutely. 
Like, that's yeah, that's I mean, Travis, I want to, I want to. Travis and Kim, I want to hear your reaction to this argument from Doug, because Doug, you believe that poorly maintained fiber networks are a much greater threat than poorly maintained uh, yes. copper networks were. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because when the cards start going bad, they just go dark. Mm -hmm. If you don't keep replacing them, you can, those DSL cards are somewhat analog and they can run friggin' forever, man. Maybe it's because I read um, Doug's, uh, you know, post on pots and pans on this. So maybe I agree with Doug because it's just agreeing with what he's saying, but you have to manage these networks. And I agree with Doug. I think if you give the money to them, they're going to be like, well, we can't sustain this. Our ROI didn't make sense. We, we're going to need more subsidies down the road. So you're continuing this like support of these big networks instead of making self-sufficient smaller ISPs or municipal networks who can continue and will be they'll be they will want to keep upgrading their network because they have their constituents or they live in that community where these big companies don't they don't live in that community community they might live two thousand miles away who cares yeah, the, electric, the electric cops will never come back and ask for more money they won't need it right or if they ask they would need it but yeah like <laughs> yeah but that, that means they would be in some really really poor mm -hmm. part of the country so yeah Travis, do you agree with this or are you, are you off on another? Well, so I've never run a rural network, but the, the people I do know that run them, they're very challenging and they're very logistically challenging. A buddy of mine yesterday had two service calls that a tech was able to make because one was two hour drive from the office. And then after that job was done, it was another two hours drive to the next service call. Because the problem with these fiber networks is they're very reliable until they're not reliable. So you're not going to staff a huge amount of people in in different towns. You, people are going to have to long haul. And so what's going to happen to Doug's point is these networks start to erode. The, the capital cost to keep them going is going to outpace the revenue because you're going to have trucks going, people going everywhere. So, you know, I, I hate to say it, but there's a reason a lot of these places are unserved. And, and, and it's just it's the logistics of the size of what we're dealing with. Now, that that being said, I don't know, I, I still would like and I'm going to put a pitch in for maybe some urban dollars here would be nice for those of us that are trying to do the good, you know, the good task. Maybe we yeah, uh, No, I think it's not a it's not a question of, of either or it should not be. I, but agree I, have, with Travis. I have a solution to all these problems. The more I hear this, the more I think it's all about the magic fiber wand. We just go, woo, and now we have a network. So, Chris Mitchell, I have a, now the solution. We are going to magically make this all happen. The incumbents are going to get 90% of the money, and in 10 years, we're going to have the seventh once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to solve this problem. Make it so. <laughs> Wait, the, I stopped saying once-in-a-lifetime. I'll tell you that. He a marshmallow on a stick. What was that? <laughs> hey, this $10 on Amazon. So, you know. You can get anything on Amazon. Ten dollars to make that, and you pay for it. Yeah, and it's so cheap. Look at that. It just—it's like a piece of PVC pipe on the end. But this is my new magic fiber wand with government money. Pshoom! There we go. <laughs> you got to come up with some um, um, uh, fake Latin to uh, yeah. to really sell that for the the spell. Well, since I didn't go to college and I'm not getting my free tuition, I will—I'll um, have to just go with this. Pew. Because that's what I, that's what's a high school kid, you know. The, um, 
the one of the things I want to throw out there, and Doug, I don't know if you, I think this is so in the weeds. I doubt if Travis or Kim have come across it, but uh, there was a study from the FCC, if I understand, if I if I understood it correctly, that suggested that it believed that running fiber to all of the high cost fund areas um, was mostly able to be self-sustaining under the assumption they have, except for 2% of the locations. Um, does that sound right to you? That 2% would require some kind of operating subsidy. Kim, you don't buy it? I don't, I, I, I don't buy it at all. I, I, some of the areas I'm looking at with 100% grant may not be sustainable. So I, I, I don't buy it at all. Well, that's what I'm saying is that, is that those would be, it would be the, those areas. Like it's- well, I, The trouble is, these current grants are capped at 75% for the most part. And there's a whole lot of places that's not enough money. So. Well, it's not enough money if you don't aggregate, right? I mean, in theory, yeah. if you're able to aggregate nearby areas into it, then, um, right. if you, you can know, get some high density areas into it, you can make it. Like better. if you're Paul Bunyan in Northern Minnesota or CTC in the you know, like some of those, I would guess that they would be able to make some of those work because they can, they're big enough at this point. Right. Right. But you couldn't set a new one. Where did they get their data that it was only two percent? And like, I could be misremembering. I mean, I could have misunderstood it. Um, well, it had to be fed to them by some consultant who works for the big companies. Probably that's where they get all. No, no, I think it would have been with the smaller companies. Um, okay. But I could be wrong. Somebody, somebody fed them that they didn't do it themselves. So yeah. Mm -hmm. So I've been I've been teasing this for a while. We have enough time now as our final topic. Uh, I've said this multiple times. We've never talked about it. <laughs> I'm super annoyed every time I see a headline. And I feel like these are all just like stupid, like, um, you know, like click on me, click on me, clickbait kind of headlines that are like streaming is just the new cable. Like, it's just like the old thing where you got to pay for all this stuff and it's a ripoff and we're no better off. And and I just have to say that, like, it brings out the old man in me that I'm just like, shut up. Like the whole point, <laughs> the whole point that we wanted was to be able to pick our channels in a more granular fashion. And we can do that now. We could pick HBO Max. We can pick Netflix. We could pick Disney. Granted, they are still like, you know, like an agglomeration of content. But like the problem with cable is that you had to pay hundreds of dollars a month and you had to take all of them. You couldn't pick. And right now you can pick. And I think it's pretty cool still. The prices are going up and that sucks. But like people are demanding a ton of content. Um, and I'm not looking forward to the day when actually in five years, they have recreated it where you have to like Disney owns every piece of motion video content and we have to pay their rates to get access to all of it at once. And we could be heading towards that, you know, that's um, my concern. But, but right now you can buy what you want. You don't have to buy all six of those. It's only more expensive if you buy it all, which we happen to do. But, but I mean, buy Hulu, one at a time, buy Netflix when you're done with it, cancel it, get another one. Yeah. That's Hulu, you can pause. Cool. It's nice. The problem right. is, <laughs> People like me who don't pause it and they don't look at their credit card bill until you have like 15 streaming services for that one show you might watch from this period of time every year. So, right. and then I'm like one time every <coughs> year, I'm like, holy crap, what am, am I subscribing to that I'm not looking at? I think it's a, it's a pro pro and con to it. Like I, I've been streaming probably for 12 years now. So I've been doing it longer than most, but it's it's going to be interesting because I am paying more than I was even five, six years ago because I'm like, well, I can get this now and I can get this. So how bad is it really going to be? It's like the airline industry. We all didn't. We now we have to pay for baggage. We have to pay for a drink. You can't do anything. Is, are we going to get there? 
I mean, we are paying for age, for um, for uh, higher quality bit streams. We are paying for no commercials. So in some ways, uh, it's an analogy that works. Yep. Travis, how do you feel about this? So I, I my my more mirrors you. I'll never forget people complaining about cable TV. I got to buy all this. Like I'm not a sports fan, and I have to pay all these ESPN licensing fees. So then, then we unbundle it all, and now you can pick and choose what you want, which I think has done an interesting thing. We have a lot more content now. Now, we can argue if the content's any better or worse, but we have a lot. Yeah, it's much worse, but anyways. And, uh, <laughs> but but there's a lot more content, and the content is specialized. So if you're like me, I, I, I have a streaming service called Curiosity Stream That would never be on cable, but it's what I like to watch, right? And I'm willing to pay nine dollars a year to watch it because it's good content what but i don't watch history? yeah what what is, what is that first of all oh, it's, it's they just it's like history and all these you know different um talking about different technologies and stuff but i like it because you can pick and choose what you want and if you <coughs> still want linear old television go to hulu youtube tv and you can watch you know the old the old-fashioned stuff um or spend ten dollars a month on YouTube, and you can watch. I don't. I, I think it's a far superior thing. The problem is most people that are complaining about it are the people that we run into, and Kim probably runs into the same people that won't switch off their cable television or their cable internet because they're used to clicking channels up and down. We don't experience the, that in Utah nearly as much, but I think it's because we have such a young population. Yeah, it, the older population. These are old people problems. Now remember, yeah. nationwide, traditional cable still has a forty-nine percent penetration. Sure, a lot of people still have it. So. But how many people? How many people are sixty years or older in this country? Well, yeah. I think that's the fear of municipal broadband. When I keep hearing people who are trying to, like cities who are trying to get into this, their biggest fear of even challenging building the fiber network is because they don't want to get into the being a, a TV, a content provider, and what that means because they are very afraid of not offering a TV service. We yeah. have 16 different providers on our network, and I think we may have a couple that offer TV at this point, but we see about 90% of our customers coming on with data only. Do you most get these of my, cities? Most that, of my ISP clients do not offer TV. They're just like Travis. They don't, they don't but, offer. So. No, that's, do, do you guys have problems with these cities that are, what are, how are they recouping their budget from their cable TV franchise agreements, though? Because that was a big start. They're, of the they're losing money hand over Yeah, hand. They're not. And I think a lot of cities don't, they're like, because they don't even understand what that, what, where the franchise fee money comes from. At least the city council don't understand that internet is not taxed. And that's a thing that I think is going to be. But, but if, so if you're a city and you're going to lose a tremendous amount of revenue on cable TV franchise agreement, what's your incentive other than maybe a few loud residents to, to champion, you know, like a fiber network overbuild? Well, they yeah. are. I mean, I've, I, I have yet to run across a community, although I'm sure that there's a few out there, where um, the community leaders are saying we need to preserve the cable monopoly to protect our franchise revenues. Generally, they're saying we need fiber because otherwise the businesses are going to leave town. It's a much bigger concern. Well, there, it's well. The the franchise fees are diminishing anyway. So what does it matter, right? Whether they build fiber or not, they're going down, right? Yeah. So. I, I didn't know if it was a topic or not, but. I, I don't know. People, here's the thing. No one will, you can't make everyone happy. So people will complain if they have to pay, choose. Yes, which you can. Are. You have a magic wand. Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Bing, there we go. Yes. Now we'll use it to solve streaming, too. Travis, oh. if you want to make me happy, just invite me over for pinball tonight. Boy. <laughs> you have to work there, though. 
<laughs> yeah. So we'll um I don't know. I, I think this is a I think this is the ideal situation right now. And plus all the contents built into smart TVs and Roku's, it's easy to get to. Even the demographic shift, it's we send out people to teach older folks how to use the new way of, of getting content and they adopt to it in two or three days. It's great. It's mm -hmm. interesting though, because I mean I was just at uh the conference and I was talking to Direct TV and they're offering uh like the streaming service alone. And I'm, I will be just interested to see how many people um, take that service. Is it are they out of date with that, or are they just trying to hit that market that doesn't want that wants the traditional TV as well on, across the internet? Yeah, yeah I don't know. I, I'm with you. And I'm more fascinated about like up here, like the Minnesota Twins. I guess it's like a baseball thing we have up here. They don't yes. they don't stream apparently. They're That's changing slowly. Um, and I mean, it's changing. So MLS struck an interesting deal with Apple TV that I'm super excited about because it'll probably allow me to get rid of YouTube TV um, next year. I'll be able to watch all the MLS games I want to watch through uh, having Apple TV, which I, I don't have right now, but has had some amazing shows on it. We we had it for a while and then we canceled it. Um, and uh, and so I'm curious to see what happens in coming years with the sports mm -hmm. programming. Because I think that is the next page big shift. But I'm I'm paying way too much money for YouTube TV relative to my I watch it. I basically watch soccer games and the Tour de France on it. Like I'm I'm still not finished with the Tour de France. Don't tell me who won. I'm sure you're all like very you probably even remember that it happened. But like I actually watched like all of it over time by just DVRing it and slowly going yeah. through it. I mean I watch I buy Hulu nine months a year and all I watch on it are Maryland basketball, football, and lacrosse. That's all I watch on it. Yeah, it's really expensive for that. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the, the thing. Right? The only thing I will say about streaming content: not all streaming content's the same. We, uh, I get the Big Ten Network to watch volleyball. Oh boy, that's where commentators go to start learning how to commentate. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's a little. I've learned it, from those. Maybe, maybe you're more of a volleyball connoisseur. I've watched those games, and I generally pick up a thing or two. Yeah, until they're those like fringe games that nobody watches, and you're like, you know, there's like four people in the stands, and they bring out the the, the bush league commentator. Right. Ooh, they're tough to watch. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly, you guys don't watch the riveting entertainment like I do. Ninety Day Fiance. I mean, that's what we we watch over in my household. I don't even know what that is. You only have you only have, you only have to have them for ninety days. <laughs> Just we'll talk about that later, Travis. Okay. We'll all right. All right. <laughs> um. Yeah. So, I mean, I, anyway, I'm glad to say I'm not alone because I feel like um, it's not that bad out there and don't I, subscribe I to everything all at once. Where, where are people complaining about this now? I think maybe, maybe it's just like my phone. Like, you know, I have a, I have the Google pixel phone and it's and it like, it selects news stories. I think I'll be interested in. And I probably read one of them at one point and it's, it's like, there's headlines on it every day, but these are clickbait. I think they're just, yeah. Yeah. I think the one that's going to be the most interesting, and again, I'm not a huge football person, but apparently Amazon is going to be having some football episodes on Thursdays, yeah. and we'll, that should be a huge uh, traffic increase. So I hope uh, I hope ISPs are prepared for the, the traffic influx on Thursday nights. Yeah, I'd be curious to see how that uh, how that plays out. I mean, Twitter had some of those games. Um, I don't know if it's going to change a whole lot uh, in terms of being on Amazon now, but... Um... You know, certainly more people will be streaming, I'm guessing. Yeah, because, I mean, I did tell you, I've told you all about the Game of Thrones denial of service attack that happened yeah. on the final episode of Game of Thrones, and uh, we learned a lot from that time. So, Yep. Well, uh, unless anyone has anything, we'll start to draw her to a close. Close, close. Make it so. <laughs> <laughs>
this is we're we're gonna come to hate that lawn, aren't we? <laughs> you had something better than my glasses, and your stick is better than my glasses. This is my sad fail, Kim. This is how well I had my Chris's surprise shot glass, but that didn't really take off. So okay. you know. It was going to be my new drinking game every time was Chris was surprised about some new government program, but I haven't. I guess don't I'll worry, to, you'll I, come. You'll have opportunities. Yeah, this is how sad my life is. I sit here and think about different ways to, you know, make jokes on this show. Well, and no, you I, bring I, serious people on, Chris. Seriously, you bring all these serious people with real problems. Yeah, you really brought him down today. I just yeah, wow. I uh, well, let me bring you up. I've been learning about the stream deck. I don't know how many of you are familiar with this. It's like um, uh, these devices where you can like, it just gives you rows of buttons and you can sort of program and they're mainly for like streamers that do different sound effects and video oh, effects and stuff those, like yeah, that. Yeah. And uh, I was just been trying to figure out if I could handle that, if we could just do a little bit more, we need a little more uh, the, the, the morning zoo. Uh, I think that's really, it's really going to help us get to that third and fourth fan that we need. That's two zoo references in one show. I think that's the end now. Chris. Oh, but the morning zoo is like the morning radio. So yeah. Oh. Um, well, yeah. I was going to give Juan our one fan today on some play. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Juan, the fan, <laughs> <laughs> and Mrs. Curator of Cannabis. I like it. I'm not convinced that that's a a recurring fan. That's a that is the first time I believe we've seen. Um, uh, welcome, to our, welcome to our second fan. <laughs> Oh, oh, um, we'll just give it in case uh, Jim Troutman is is tuning in uh, later or live. Uh, congratulations. Uh, his community has voted to join uh, one of the communications union districts in Maine. And I'm sure that he's been involved with that. And so they had a unanimous vote of his community uh, in the town meeting. So congratulations. That's awesome. That is awesome. And uh, I'm, I'm aiming to have a show on Friday next week. Uh, I've got a couple of ideas. And the question is whether um, technically I'm supposed to be on vacation until Thursday, but I have like five or six meetings tomorrow. So <laughs> it's not really happening. I'm going to try and figure out who we can line up and, uh, and have uh, some guests. But I uh, hope Kim and Doug will be back in two weeks or so. We'll be aiming for that. And uh, what's up, Trav? Uh, it 12 minutes ago, they must have been watching our show. I just got an email from Comcast. They're increasing our speeds. <laughs> oh, 100 megabit to 200 megabit. So oh. is the power of Connect This. We're changing the world. 25 gig in Chattanooga and 200 megabit from Comcast. Well done. Well done, all. Let No one said that we were ineffective in our work. <laughs> yep. That's um, no one asked. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is, uh, I'm really glad uh, that you uh, gave us some, uh, that you, Kim, uh, and Doug were able to join uh, Travis and I. Thank you all for um for making uh making some time at the end of the day on a last second notice. But uh, this has been a fun show, and uh, we will be uh, scheduling another one for next week, I hope, two weeks out uh, for yet another one. We're going to be doing this constantly, and um. Uh, thanks, Juan. Juan's telling us. Uh, yeah, there we go. Um, uh, oh, yeah. Oh, our thanks, thanks, Juan, our fan. Appreciate yeah. it for today. Hey, Juan can come on the show then. Then he's no longer yeah. a fan. Yeah, yeah. Juan, let us know if you want to have a guest spot and what that should be like. Um, <laughs> and uh, but let me let me sign off and uh, wish everyone a wonderful weekend. The summer's almost over. Uh, this has been uh, a great episode of Connect This. Thank you.